chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. We're going to get back to our study of the book of Mark. And uh, we looked through chapter 1, but now we're going to look at chapter 2. And uh, we're going to talk about the healing servant. Uh, Follow along in your copy of God's word as I read chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Mark chapter 2. And again he entered into Capernaum with some days, after some days, and it was noised that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there were no room to receive them, no, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether it be easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and take up thy bed and walk. But but that ye know that the Son of Man hath power on the earth to forgive sins, he saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise and take up thy bed, and go thy way unto thine house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word again this morning. As we look into Mark chapter 2, we just pray, Lord, that you'll speak to the needs of our hearts. We know that you are the great physician, physician, and you know how to heal bodies that are sick with disease and, and, and so forth. And we trust you, Lord, to have your will and way in our lives in that matter. But we also know that uh, you're the great physician in healing the soul's diseases. And we pray, Lord, that uh, each one here this morning knows Jesus Christ as our Savior, has experienced the, the spiritual healing that is needed. And if not, we pray that today would be the day of their salvation. And we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to give forth the word in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we've already looked at... Uh, In chapter 1, the baptism of the servant, the temptation of the servant, the message of the servant, the call of the servant, the preaching of the servant, the power of the servant, and then the passion of the servant. And uh, as we learned there in chapter 1, Jesus began his ministry in the city of Capernaum. He entered into the town, immediately began to preach about the kingdom of God. And in that chapter, Jesus also demonstrated great power, healing power. He cast out demons and he healed diseases of every sort. And according to verse 32 of chapter 1, it would seem that he healed nearly every sick person that was in that town. Uh, In verse 32, uh, we read, it says, And at even, when the sun set, they brought unto him all that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils. So he must have just uh, 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 taken care of every need in that way in the city of Capernaum. But his miracles eclipsed his message. 
Now the people flocked to Jesus to see what he would do next. Each miracle left them hungry for more. And to escape this frenzy, uh, Jesus and his four disciples left Capernaum and they began preaching uh, throughout Galilee, as it tells us in verses 38 through 39. Now, that preaching tour is over. And Jesus and his men returned to Capernaum. This town was an important place in the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus. Uh, Capernaum served as the kind of a headquarters, so to speak, for his ministry. Uh, it was here that he put a great uh, deal of healing power on public display. Uh, it was here that he preached in power. It was here in Capernaum that Jesus made a very, his mu- uh, very public claims as Messiah. But Capernaum had a problem. This city valued miracles more than the message or the Messiah. They wanted the spectacular. They wanted our Lord's offer of salvation, uh, or they rejected our Lord's offer of salvation. They wanted to see the miracles instead. And as a result, Jesus later pronounced a curse on the city, uh, we're told in Luke chapter 10. And those who've received much from the hand of the Lord and rejected it are going to face greater judgment as well as it tells us in Luke chapter 12. So Jesus and his men returned to Capernaum. Uh, We're told that they entered into the house. Now this could most possibly be, and it doesn't necessarily say it is so, but it's good uh, idea that it was the home of Peter. I remember back in chapter 1, they had, had gone to Peter's house, and so perhaps this was Peter's house, and they entered into town. They didn't have any big bands or uh, parades as they came in. They just came in, and yet the word got out that Jesus was back in Capernaum, and when the people heard that the miracle worker had returned, they flocked to this house where he was staying. You know, churches have to deal with all kinds of rumors. Most rumors start in churches are negative. Uh, The greatest rumor that can get out on a church uh, for people to start hearing the rumor rumor that Jesus is in the church. Now, when that that word gets out, I think people are going to start coming. Jesus has a drawing power. Uh, When he is lifted up, when the word gets out, I believe people will come. Now, Jesus is in the house here, and the crowds have come to see him and to see what he's going to do. And I want to just kind of talk about these uh, events in this passage and look at the healing servant this morning. It's amazing what happened here when Jesus is in the house. Now, notice, first of all, you see Jesus and his preaching. This is in verse 2, and straightway many were gathered together insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached, what? The word. He preached the word. I think that's significant right there. That he's, He didn't just preach a message. Uh, he didn't just entertain them with stories and jokes. He preached the word. And that, uh, uh, you know, anyone can draw a crowd... Uh, we could have wrestlers, we could have celebrities, we could have musicians, we could have uh, all kinds of preachers and so forth that would be entertaining, but it's what to do with the crowd that makes the difference. Jesus could have used this opportunity to become a greater celebrity in Capernaum. 
Hey, he could have performed a few miracles and the people would have been eating out of his hands. Uh, after all, that was probably why they came in the first place. They came to see the Lord do some more miracles. They came to see him do the extraordinary. You know, imagine their surprise and their disappointment when he preached to them. You know, uh, we talked about the preaching of the cross. As to them uh, that are not saved, it's foolishness. But to those who are saved, it's the power of God. But these folks probably were disappointed that Jesus preached the word. And they exalt the times when there is no preaching. Shame on us for our shallowness if we exalt the things that are not involving the preaching. You know, it's clear to me that Jesus, that uh, the message was far more important than the miracles. Uh, we do not know what the Lord preached that day. He didn't give us the text, but we know he preached the word. That's what the Bible tells us. And we can safely say he probably went back to the Old Testament and he probably preached some of the same things he preached when the first time he was in town, back in chapter 1 and verse 14. Maybe he even preached about the kingdom of God, the power of God, and the salvation of God. Surely he preached the central message of the Bible, salvation by faith through grace, the grace that we sang about. You know, preaching was central to the life and the ministry of the Lord Jesus. And the same should be true of this church. You know, I love good singing. I love to hear uh, good testimonies from people. And, and I love to have special services from time to time. But there's nothing that takes the place of good preaching on the Word of God. Preaching is God's chosen method for reaching the hearts of the lost with the gospel of grace. You read over in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom, of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. 1 Corinthians one twenty one says, For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. You know, nothing should ever be allowed to crowd out the message. Uh, we should pray that our church will stay focused on the message. Uh, it would be easy to slack up, back off, if we would just say, well, you know, we could get more people if we did this or did that. You know, maybe if we had some entertainment, we could get a bigger crowd. But you know what? The primary business of this church is not just to fill the pews, not to uh, fill our bank account. The primary business is the proclamation of the Lord's message. And that's what we're about. That's our business, and it should be our only business. Thank God for an old-fashioned Bible-believing church where preaching is still the centerpiece of every service. So Jesus and his preaching. Secondly, we see Jesus and his power. We see this in verses 3 through 5. Right in the middle of this preaching service, something very spectacular does happen. And you can imagine if all at once our ceiling began to kind of crumble down and there was all at once a hole in the, the ceiling. 
Uh, but that's what happened here in this, this house uh, that Jesus was in. Four men were bringing their paralyzed friend to Jesus. And they believed that they could, if they could just get this man to Jesus, then Jesus would heal his body. And when they arrive, the crowd is so large that they cannot get into the house because uh, through the door. And houses in that day were uh, usually constructed with flat roofs. Uh, there would probably be a set of stairs on the side of the house that would allow them access to the roof, which was used much like a deck would be in our day, probably. And these roofs were usually made of laying of timbers across the top of the house, and these timbers then would be covered with layers of branches. Uh, they would be covered maybe sometimes with clay tiles, and finally maybe a, a thick layer of mud was placed on top of them. Uh, this was rolled and pressed. You guys are paying attention here from the construction company, right? This is how you do it. But uh, uh, this, this is the way they were built back in that day. And they were made uh, hard and rainproof. So this kind of might have been a, somewhat of a humorous scene, but here Jesus is preaching in the house. These four men carry their friend up the stairs uh, onto the roof, and once again they begin to kind of dig through the roof and, until they've made a large opening, uh, large enough to uh, lower their friend down into the house. And it's just something you have to kind of imagine uh, in your minds. Jesus preaching, the sounds of digging heard over uh, overhead. You know, after a short time, maybe uh, Jesus preached kind of like I do. If there's someone that makes a disturbance, I just preach louder. Uh, and uh, so, uh, you know, if a baby cries or someone's phone rings, I just preach louder. Uh, so maybe Jesus was the same way. Maybe he heard all that up there and he just kind of uh, kept on preaching. Well, I wonder what Peter was thinking. You know, if this is his house... Uh, Jesus is preaching and the sound of digging is uh, being heard. And pretty soon the dirt and the wood begins to fall and the crowd assemble below. And pretty soon the blue sky is showing through the darkness and a man is lowered down into the room. That would have been an amazing thing to see. I wonder what Jesus thought. I imagine he had a smile on his face as he realized what was happening. I wonder what the crowd thought. Surely this had never happened in a, in a service before. Uh, uh, There's no doubt, uh, amazed, they were amazed at what took place. It tells us that. It's always a blessing, though, when the Lord invades our order of worship or takes over the service. I don't understand how he does it sometimes, but I'm glad he does. And something wonderful always takes place when Jesus is in the house. It always makes a difference when he's present in our service. Let me just say a word about these four men. These four men who brought their friend to Jesus. These four men were willing to do whatever it took to get their friend to the Lord. Notice they dared to do what was difficult. You know, it was not easy to carry a man up onto the roof. Uh, that was a difficult task. And the Bible says that Jesus saw their faith. Uh, it doesn't say he saw their muscles. He saw their faith. Uh, faith is something that works in the heart and then it works in its way outside. A faith that won't put you to work for Jesus probably won't take you to heaven either. So they dared to do something that was difficult. Secondly, they dared to do the unusual. 
They were willing to think outside the box. For them, it was not business as usual. They took It took ingenuity to think of breaking up the roof to get that man to Jesus. And then they dared to do the costly. Maybe they had said, you know, you know, if we do this, we're going to have to pay Peter for the repairs. Whatever it was, the, these men were willing to do whatever it took to bring their friend to the Lord. And that's the same heartbeat that needs to beat within us. As long as it's a biblical uh, uh, thing, uh, we should not shy away from uh, bringing people to Christ. You know, uh, I don't believe in, in doing it in a, in a unbiblical way, but if it's, if it's that which doesn't go against God's word, then I believe we should do those things that would bring people to Christ. The paralyzed man is lowered into this service. Jesus witnessed uh, the extent and the depth of their faith and his ability. And then Jesus does something very amazing. He says, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Now you stop and think about that for a moment. This man was brought to Jesus for healing, and Jesus deals with his sins. Why? Well, I think it's clear that this man was paralyzed because of maybe some spiritual problem in his life. You know, doctors have determined that over 50% of our illnesses are a result of emotional problems. Uh, This man was sick because of sin. Uh, Surely this man... And the four that brought him and the crowd that thought his greatest problem was his paralysis. But God knew the truth. Jesus knew the truth. Sin was his greatest problem. And that's what Jesus dealt with first. And by the way, our, our problem, greatest problem is sin as well. All too often we, th- we focus on the physical and we never give any thought to the spiritual. Uh, We spend our time trying to be healthy and wealthy and wise, and we never stop to think about how we stand before the eyes of the Lord. You know, the greatest need in your life right now is not a physical need. It doesn't matter what you're facing. Your greatest need has uh, has always been and will always be a spiritual need. And the only place you can find help for that spiritual need is through Jesus Christ. So let's examine the words that the Lord said to this man. He said, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. That man didn't realize the full impact of what Jesus was saying to him, but those were the greatest words he would ever hear. Notice, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Let's just take that apart a little bit. When he says the word son, he's referring uh, to, uh, it's like the word means child. Uh, It's a word that conveys an idea of tenderness. Uh, He wasn't speaking down to the man in the sense of, oh, you little uh, little child, you don't understand what you're doing. No, it was a a term of tenderness to him. Jesus spoke to this man. He spoke tenderly. He spoke to him as a son. And that's what the word, that word uh, speaks of family. That speaks of family. Uh, that's what happens when a lost sinner meets the master. The lost one, like the prodigal son of Luke chapter 15, is taken in by the father. And that one who was lost is dressed in the father's garments, receives the ring of reconciliation, the shoes of a son that takes his seat at the table as a member of the family. Even like Mephibosheth in 2 Samuel chapter 9, the lost one is treated like a son. 
Hallelujah. If you're saved, you are a child of God. You are his child right now. But then he uses the word forgiven. This word implies that the man was guilty. Uh, He had shame and he had sin that needed to be taken away. And the first word brought him into the family. The second word brings him into the fellowship. You know, it's sin and all of its ugliness and horror that stands between a sinner and God. But when a lost person comes to Jesus for salvation, all their sins are instantly and eternally forgiven. They are brought into perfect fellowship then with the Heavenly Father. What a great truth. What a blessing that is. Thank God that our Savior has the power to forgive sin, has the power to erase our past and do away with our guilt. And my question is, have you experienced that forgiving power in your life? Have you ever heard him call you son? Jesus and his preaching. Jesus and his power. Thirdly, Jesus and his proof. Jesus was, uh, has just given this poor paralyzed man the greatest gift of the world has ever known. Forgiveness and acceptance. Uh, do you think the man and his friends were disappointed? Uh, do you think they expected more? Well, they were not the only one who were, ones who were surprised by what Jesus did. Notice in verses 6 and 7, you have the criticism. Sitting here in the house that day were some scribes. Uh, these were men who no doubt had been sent to check up on Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, the scribes were writers, as the name implies. Uh, These men were given the duty of copying the scriptures. And as they copied, they became very familiar with the biblical texts. Uh, They eventually became scholars and authorities on the text. But by Jesus' time, the scribes and their interpretation of the law had become more important than the law itself. And when these religious men heard Jesus forgive this crippled man's sins, they couldn't believe their ears. They knew that only God could give, forgive sins. They understood the words of Jesus as a claim to be God. And when they heard this, they immediately accused him of blasphemy. Of course, like most legalists and hypocrites, they were cowards, and they didn't have the courage to come right out and accuse Jesus openly. And so this is the first counter that Jesus encounter that Jesus will have with the so-called religious elite of his day. But it would not be the last. In fact, the religious leaders of Israel would be instrumental in having him crucified. So we have the criticism. Then we have the confrontation. In verses 8 and 9, as we read there, Jesus, being God, knew what they were thinking in their hearts, and he immediately offers them a challenge. His words are worth considering. Jesus said, Whether it be easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise, take up thy bed, and walk. Either of those statements is easy to make, but only one can be proved. Anyone can say, Thy sins be forgiven thee. But the real test is for the crippled man to rise up and walk. But only God possesses that ability uh, for it to make either one of them happen. Jesus is setting up a test to prove that he is the Messiah. You know, Jesus knows what you're thinking in your heart today as well. 
He knew what was going on in the hearts of these, these scribes, these who were criticizing him. But he knows what's going on in your heart today as well. I think that should be a sobering thought. To know that Jesus, the Lord, knows what we're thinking. Notice then the confirmation, verses 10 through 12. Now in these verses, Jesus uses the physical to prove the spiritual. And as I said, the forgiveness of sin cannot be proven, but the physical healing is easy to prove. When Jesus commanded the man to arise and take up his bed and go thy way to thy house, he was proving that he was who he claimed to be. You see, this was the acid test. If Jesus gave the command and the paralytic man just continued to lie there, then Jesus would have been proven to be a fraud. But if the man got up as he did, it would prove that Jesus possessed the power to heal. You know, that's a power, by the way, that is one of the calling cards of the Messiah. Uh, Over in Isaiah chapter 35 and verses 4 through 6, it says, Say to them that are of a fearful heart, Be strong and fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as an heart, and a and the tongue of the dumb sing. For the wilderness shall uh, waters break out, and streams in the desert. You see, by healing of this man, Jesus proved that he was worthy of faith. He was proving that he was the Messiah. He's proving that he is God in the flesh. You notice there uh, words in verse ten. It says, the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. The words power on earth is a very interesting phrase. I think it could be taken a couple of different ways. One, Jesus was saying that he had the power while he was here on earth to forgive sins. He proved this a number of times as he forgave those who came to him. And I praise the name of Jesus this morning that he possesses that power. Uh, If you need forgiveness today, you can come to the Lord and you can get complete forgiveness that you need. The other way this can be taken is Jesus is saying that the place to receive forgiveness is here on earth. You know, after you die, die, uh, there's no uh, opportunity. The place to receive forgiveness is right here. It will be too late to be forgiven when this life is over. If you expect to meet the Lord in heaven and and then have him weigh your good against your bad and say, well, let's see, uh, was he good enough to get in or was he? No, you're going to be disappointed. And if you need to be saved this morning, the time to come to Jesus is now. If you need forgiveness, the time is in this life now. When you leave this world in death, it'll be too late. Be too late to make any preparations for eternity. There will be no second chances, no more opportunities. You'll have to deal with your sin problem in this world or you will die and spend an eternity in hell. And so Jesus heals the man and the, and the paralyzed man gets up, picks up his mat, elbows his way through the crowd. He leaves and he simply gets up and walks away. His heart is healed first, then his flesh followed and that's the way things go. 
When the Lord forgives a person his sins, that person becomes a new creature, according to 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. Their insides are changed. Their walk is rearranged. And when the Lord does in a heart, also shows on the outside. Remember, genuine faith is something that can be seen by others. And so when the crowd sees this miracle, they begin to praise the Lord. They are amazed by what they have seen with their eyes. But they're completely missing the point. The people are so caught up with what their eyes have seen, they completely forgot the words that he preached. And again, people choose the miracle over the message. What about you this morning? Are you waiting on a miracle? Are you even listening to the message? I read about a man who was saved when he was 84 years old. All the years prior to his salvation, he was waiting on a miracle. He always said that when God was ready to save him, he'd come to him like he came to Paul on the Damascus Road. He was waiting for a miracle. Well, one day the Lord came to him, and it wasn't a Damascus Road experience, but he got saved. And a month later he died, and he almost missed all uh, by waiting for that miracle. But when he came to the place when he simply received the message, he was saved. I wonder, is there someone like that today with us? You need to receive what Christ has done for you. Has the Lord spoken to your heart this morning? If he has, we invite you to do whatever it takes uh, to come to Jesus and trust in him as your Savior. Jesus is in the house today. Let's listen to him. Let us pray.